Hello and welcome to Explorify Canada podcast. Join us as we sit with other Canadians at the roundtable to discuss and sometimes argue about financial independence in Canada. My name is Ryan Bowe. I'm one of the hosts of Explorify Canada, which means I couldn't be doing this alone. So sitting across from me at the table is Chrissy. Say hi, Chrissy. Hi, Ryan. And on the other side of the table, sitting so astute, is the money mechanic himself. Say hi. Hey, Ryan. Great to be here. Last but not least, we are joined by Tanya, all the way from Atlantic Canada. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ryan. Awesome. So, Tanya, we're just going to launch quickly into our signature interview, trademark. And uh, to lead off the first question, I'm going to pass it over to Chrissy. Hi, Tanya. It's Chrissy. Nice to talk to you, finally. Hi. Um, Same to I'll you. start with our first question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've been talking a lot on the Choose FI Canada Facebook group. So it's nice to have a live conversation. So the first question we have for you is uh, we'd like you to introduce yourself and tell us about your why to FI. Well, uh, my name is Tanya. I'm from Atlantic Canada. I for for quite a long time, I've had the idea of wanting to retire early. And uh, really, that started way back in the day. Um, unfortunately, I discovered the FI movement quite late in my career. I'm in my, let's say, really early 40s. Okay. <laughs> um, so Me too. anyway, <laughs> I won't get too specific about that. But I've always wanted to retire early and this kind of idea kickstarted in my mind when my neighbor introduced me to this concept of fire. So not just being, being financially independent, but also retiring early. And she lives in my neighborhood or did live in my neighborhood and decided to sell her big house and house hack. And I was just like, this is fabulous. Like, why am I not doing this? And this is such a great idea. And uh, she was super motivational. And that's kind of what kicked off my desire to start um, really trying to get into the opportunity to retire early. And I think, you know, as much as I say I want to retire early, I think it doesn't mean doing nothing after retirement. It just means doing what I want to do. So that idea really appealed to me. And uh that happened about eight months ago. And ever since then, I've been trying to document my journey and continue to motivate myself to uh, work towards that goal. The idea was, okay, well, what can I do to keep myself accountable? I know I'll just publish something every week to the internet and people will just start reading it and then they'll expect something <laughs> to happen every week. So really it was to keep myself accountable, but also to learn new things as I progress in sort of the journey to Vi, because I figure, you know, people like yourselves who have been at this for much longer than I have, I can, I have so much I can learn from you. So that's really how the blog came about. And now I'm cursing the day I started it. No, not really. It's, it's fun. I really enjoy it. One of the things I really enjoy about uh, reading your blog is that it's written from a very first person uh personal point of view. I love how you refer to, to hubs. And uh, I, I like the article that you've got in here about sticking to the budget and several of the other ones. Uh, too many times I find the personal finance space or fire blogs become too weighed down in numbers and analytics and stray away from 
are each each other's personal path. So I think it's great the way you're doing that. Thank you. I really feel it's lacking in numbers and analytics. So it's nice to hear an alternative perspective. So Tanya, how is FI different in Atlantic Canada? Like, is there anything that the rest of us Canadians are missing out on? Well, that's a really good question. I think one thing that is helpful is a lower cost of living. I mean, in some ways, things like housing, you can get a lot more for your, a lot more bang for your buck. Um, and there are other, I think, much less expensive uh, areas in this part of the country. The only thing is there, these things are offset by other costs, such as, for example, and this this is something that I've struggled with, is the fact that I need to own two vehicles in order for us to get to work. Like I'm not biking, you know, 30 kilometers to work every day and home. Although I've considered doing that this summer, I'm, I'm toying with the idea, but it's all Trans-Canada Highway. So it's like, eh, how much do I want to risk my life? But um, yeah, so I think probably the lower cost of living and also uh, paired with that, like uh, if you're good at what you do, the job opportunities are there despite, you know, talk about lack of jobs in this part of the country. Like I really have never had a problem getting decent employment and um, I really love the job that I have now. So I think that's a bonus as well. Uh, but certainly you're not going to see the same opportunities as you would see in a big city in Ontario or um, or any part of Canada for that matter. I apologize on behalf of my province for stealing all the jobs in the nation. Sorry, guys. <laughs> are, would you say the wages are similar in Atlantic Canada? I mean, you know, let's just say in the private sector, you, you know, if somebody was a, oh, well, Pick, pick a job. Do you think they're the same across Canada as far as wages go? I mean, is it living in a lower cost of living area change with um, how people are paid? Yes. I can definitively say based on previous experience that, you know, your job in Ontario, let's say as a manager of human resources, you're going to be paid more than uh, someone here in New Brunswick, for example. So um, you're, your salary will definitely be lower probably for the same job, but I still think the cost of living would be, would offset that in terms of the disadvantage. So specifically when you're talking about cost of living, are you like, we, we know that um, housing prices are cheaper there. Do you find it, you know, our gas prices are ridiculous on the West coast right now um, as far as, you know, insurance and, the regular bills that we pay, you and I had a little discussion about our electricity usage and the bills on that. Is Would you say right across the board, the cost of living is lower for everybody's average household bills? Well, I mean, just based on our anecdotal discussion and other things I've seen, I would say probably not. I mean, really, I think the big savings is in housing, and that's my biggest expense. It's a good question, but I can't really say I have any hard numbers to back that up. When my wife was in uh, PEI doing her teacher's ed, we were, uh, she was there for a year, but we were looking at some of the real estate there and it was just insane what $300,000 could buy you. Like, yeah. unreal, unreal property, mm -hmm. um, especially coming from, you know, we at the time we lived in Mississauga, Ontario, right beside Toronto, mm -hmm. and 300000 was like uh, a bachelor pad, yeah. you know, condo. Yeah, yeah, it's it's 
you, you can live in the lap of luxury pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say luxury, but you can definitely get more, more for your money. There's no question. So from a cost of living point of view and, and the real estate point of view, would you, I know I'm going off, uh, off script here. Would you say there's any, uh, would it be worthwhile for anybody to invest in property in Atlantic Canada? Say one of the things I find is that in property investment on the West coast is out of reach. Um, would it be worthwhile investing there? That's a really good question. And something that I've explored, I, early on when I was pursued, when I started the blog, I was kind of trying to, I was trying to like assimilate all information at once. And one of the things, um, I started looking at was real estate because of my neighbor who had started house hacking and, and stuff like that. And um, I don't know if you listen to uh, the afford anything podcast. For sure. Oh, we, we all do. Okay. Of course you do. Uh, so <laughs> I find Paula very inspiring and I listened to an episode about the 1% rule and how if you're going to invest in property and say, uh, turn it into a rental, um, you know, you really need to make sure that you're getting enough in rent to be able to offset the cost of that, of purchasing that property because she doesn't make any money off of, um, appreciation of her homes. She makes it from, you know, making sure that her rent covers all of her costs and then some. So I haven't really seen that work out in this area. Like, and I don't know if that's a Canada problem or just a, uh, an Atlantic Canada problem, but generally speaking, you can't uh, rent a property for 1% of the purchase cost here. No, it's the same here. It's the same on the yeah. West Coast. Everything is like a fraction of 1%. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't even get close. Like unless you buy maybe a fixer-upper and try to, you know do most of the work yourself and then get into a, a situation where you can rent it out, then I could think I would see that maybe working, but, but um, other than that, no, I mean, maybe Airbnb, if you can find a nice property in an area where people really want to go like for vacation in the summertime and things like that, like PEI would be an awesome place, but you know, depending on the cost of the actual property that you're purchasing, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why I think house hacking is great for people in the fire yes. community, because you have to live in the house exactly. anyway, you're paying for it anyway. So use a part of it that you're not using to generate some income. Yes, exactly. So it sounds like from your response there that even though real estate is relatively affordable in comparison, the fact is that the rents still don't meet that 1% criteria that's always talked about in in. Uh, cash flowing real estate. So what about from a point of view of, of resale and longer term market outlook? Would if someone was to buy in a an East Coast and Atlantic province town, would they have problems selling 10 years out? Is is the market been flat or you know that we live in an area where the market's booming, but I know that's not representative of all across Canada. Mm, I think it's really regional dependent. So if you purchase a home in Halifax, that you know, that is going to be worth your while. But if you purchase a home in, uh, 
I don't want to bash any place, but some rural part of <laughs> Atlanta, Canada. Uh, I won't name any names, but let's say, you know, it's not in demand, then yes, definitely you might have a hard time getting rid of that property when you're ready to sell. Right. So people should just be attracted by really low price numbers. They need to do some analysis on the areas and, and employment. Most and definitely. Like that. Sounds pretty typical. Yep. So uh, we are wondering if and you're quite new to the FI journey, but ha have you discovered any FI hacks that have saved you uh, a lot of money? I think probably the best, I don't know if you'd call it a hack, but this was something I heard on Afford Anything as well. Um, back when Paula used to uh, co-host with Jay Money, um, one of his big recommendations in terms of lowering expenses was to challenge every expense, especially monthly expenses. So, you know, call your insurance company annually, call your um, cable company or get rid of your cable, depending on your, your ability there. Um, you know, call your cell phone provider, call everyone on a regular basis and try to get, get lower rates. Um, just challenge everything and also challenge whether or not you actually need that service or not. Like, do I really need this Audible account or am I just, you know, throwing away my money every month in terms of like, you know, having to read five books a month? Is that really a requirement for me? So things like that. Um, I think probably the best hack is just, you know, call every, every time your, your cycle goes through and, you know, Bell has charged you full for a full year and now they're upping your rate. Maybe I shouldn't have said Bell. Um, <laughs> but that one comes to mind because I just dealt with it. Uh, when they're when they're upping your rate every year, you know, call them and say, look, I'm going to the competition unless you uh, help me out here. Like, what can you do for me? So I think that's really helped me. And um, my, you know, I'm consistently seeing my expenses decline because I'm sort of attacking every expense. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It's one of the easier things that you can do when you're first starting yes. out and it saves you forever. You know, you do it once and it'll keep saving you. And I, I think Mr. Money Mustache wrote an article mm -hmm. about it. I think something like the, the art of constant optimization, something to that effect. But it it's yes. the same thing where, you know, you just revisit each of your expenses as often as you are able and just get things down as low as yep. you can. And there's you're just trimming the fat every once in and a while. And it's something that I never really did before. And I kick myself for having not done it for so many years. You know, it's it's kind of frustrating to realize. But at the same time, there's not really any point in beating myself up over it. You know, like I just need to move on and do the best I can, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I know that's what really helps with this is YNAB. I know, like me, you're a huge yes. fan of YNAB. And um uh, this leads into a question that Money Mechanic wanted to ask you about your experience with YNAB. So as Chrissy mentioned, uh, you're big into using YNAB. And you'll have to fill me in on this because I am woefully not knowledgeable about YNAB at all. But I read your article here that you wrote in uh, 2018 about getting started with YNAB. And I was really interested when I read the article because, because I haven't used it. it. It kind of showed me a little bit what it was all about and you talk about getting hubs on board in there and it's great because 
I struggle with my spouse too. And we do share everything financially, but I know that's one of the, the common discussions in the FI community is, is your spouse on board? How do you get your spouse on board? So you're using YNAB and it seems like that's really working for you. Can you sort of expand on that and, and how it's worked for your family? Sure. I mean, I noticed when I listened to Christy, Christy's interview, she did talk a little bit about YNAB as well. And I would just say it really brings clarity for me to where my money is going, what it's doing, and where I need it to go, if that makes sense. And I did use Mint as well in the past, and it just, it's a great tracker, but it's not good at assigning the money to a specific place. So where do I need this money to go? So I really, I really um, am a big proponent for sure. And I know the biggest complaint I hear from people is the subscription fee. So can I justify the subscription fee when I'm trying to cut my expenses? And my answer to that is, I have saved so mon- so many times the cost of this subscription fee in a period of eight months that it's it's like I just it blows my mind how effective it really was for me. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I think it does. I mean, I've heard that echoed before too that the subscription fee pays for itself because it it really helps you get on track with with your budgeting there. And it sounds really interesting. Like I'm. I hear they do a trial because you did that to start with. So I might have to do the trial just to see how it goes. I, I like the, what you call it, whamming. And I also like the way it forces you to put money, give money a job. Yes. That's kind of the primary, uh, I guess, one of the primary rules of YNAB is give all your money a job. So every dollar gets a specific task in your budget, which is not a concept I've ever followed or understood or really thought about I just was like oh we're getting paid great I can pay my bills and the rest who knows where it goes so it's great for that and there is a four-month trial floating around out there I think somewhere in the internet world all right well Ryan will put that in the show notes won't you Ryan (laughs) (laughs) I would love to (laughs) can't wait to scour the internet for this (laughs) Like, that's all right redflagdeals.com i'm sure if you'd like somewhere. i could look it up and send it to you if you yeah if, if you know where it is definitely send it to me that'd be great all right well but if, yeah. if you yeah I, i'm not gonna shirk my okay you said it with disdain worry. so i thought maybe maybe you had a, a yneb you know i don't know something I was uh, I was totally like thinking about it. And I was like, maybe I should do it, blah, blah, blah. And then I heard a subscription fee and I was like, ew, I'm not paying for that. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm just waiting for the conversation to be over. I ain't paying for nothing. I'm that is, oh, you can't, that's you exactly can't off. It's that's it's exactly so awesome. the reaction that people have when you when you talk to them about it. But uh, I think, you know, it's it's something that a tool that I'm going to use for probably about two years and then I'm going to have a my alternative is going to be an Excel sheet that basically does the same thing but maybe a little bit more manual Mm. because with YNAB you can sync it with your bank and things like that so that your transactions are uh, imported which is very handy however with a spreadsheet you're going to need to download your transactions put them into the spreadsheet and then it can 
do the work for you. Or that's kind of like my dream in the future to save myself some money. Right. But I, and I guess that as you become more conscious of your spending and your expenses, naturally they're probably going to go down as long as it's working for you. And then the, the spreadsheet should generally be easier because you're going to be, you're going to know what you're spending all your money on. Right. So I guess that's, that makes sense. That's and even Jesse who started YNAB, he recommends if you don't want to buy the subscription, get the book and then you can just use the concepts with your own tools. And that way, Um, you're still assigning your money, but you know, you don't necessarily have to go out and buy his software. Right. So that's why he wrote the book on it as well. I I noticed you have that book on your blog, teaonfire.com. So any listeners that are looking for that book, they can head over to your blog and and pick it up. Tanya, what is your favorite book? And this could be anything to do with personal finance or fire. Yeah, I saw this question. Um, that's a hard question. I think early in early days, I started out reading David Bach. He had a whole series of books. There was, I think the one I read was smart couples finish rich. And that's where I had, that's kind of where I started my educational education journey, like before any blogs existed (laughs) or maybe they existed, but I didn't know they existed. I don't know. Anyway. um, You know, and I made my own plan and printed it out and shared it with hubs and, you know, tried to get everybody on board. And, and that was kind of a great starting point Um, in terms of more recent publications. I'm in the middle of reading your money or your life which I kind of feel obligated to read this since really Vicky and <laughs> Vicky and Joe are like the pioneers of Phi and have been doing it since the eighties. And then just suddenly everyone decided to jump on board around the time when Mr. Money Mustache published his first series of articles um, on his blog. But I really think that, you know, her, I've listened to Vicky, uh, interviewed a couple times and her philosophy on life is just like I want to be just like her I want to be her so I really enjoy listening to her talk and just she talks about the importance of community and how it's you know it's not all about money even though you need money to get to to a certain place before you can really truly live your life and uh, so I'm really enjoying that book and I'm almost finished The Millionaire Next Door which also is a really interesting book although it's dated now but um, I'm really enjoying that one as well so I don't really have any other recommendations I don't think besides that for books specifically so I just want to chime in here uh, David Bach Mm -hmm. Uh, I've just picked up one of his books to read as well and he's just released The Latte Factor Uh, going off topic here do you since you um you know analyzed all your spending and that that you know obviously we all recognize the latte factor has nothing to do with coffee but the question is did you find anything in your optimization of your family's lifestyle that was a recurring expense that in retrospect wasn't necessary is there anything that you could highlight or you know pass pass on the question if you if you'd like to as well (laughs) that's a good question Uh, there are things that I feel are not necessary, but perhaps other people in my family 
don't share that feeling. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. Go on. <laughs> uh, do you want things that I've actually eliminated from the budget or, or things that I have challenged that maybe could be eliminated, but haven't been yet due to disagreements of the situation? <laughs> well, well, maybe, maybe Chrissy can frame it uh, better than I can. <laughs> How so? <laughs> I think you're asking like, what things were we paying for that we aren't now? to that really kind of came out of that analysis of the latte factor. Like, like he wrote a whole chapter on the latte factor in that smart couples finish rich book. And one of the big things that I, that came out of that for me was making my lunch. So since, you know, since I read that book, I've really spent a lot of time putting not a lot of time, but putting extra effort into small things like making your lunch, because historically we would spend, you know, you know, easy 15 to $20 a day buying lunch at local restaurants or whatever. Right. Um, times two times two people. And I'm just like, why am I doing this? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. So that would be a big change in the sense that you're reducing your cost significantly over, over time. And, and I mean, the same applies to, to meal planning and trying not to eat out and stuff like that. Like, I really was so shocked to see how much I was spending on groceries once I started adding it up. So for me, that would be definitely a big change in, you know, just sort of focusing more on making sure we have meals at home more often. Um, and we try to be prepared for what we know is inevitably going to come which is us getting hungry, like have a plan. <laughs> so lot, lots of little ways that you've oh, yeah. to save money. Mm -hmm. So you're, that's the saving side. Let's talk about the stuff that you haven't given up in pursuing filing. With my family, travel is one thing that we are not cutting back on and we spend mm -hmm. quite lavishly on. Are, are there any areas in your life that uh, you are slowing down your path to FI? Yeah, for? I would agree with you. Travel is probably high on our list. Like I have a budget of $5,000 for travel this year, which I mean, maybe isn't, I don't know. I guess it's relative to the person, whether or not that's a large budget or a small budget. But for me, it's not something I am willing to sacrifice on. I would say also my haircut. It's very expensive. <laughs> I, I'm really struggling with it because, um, you know, I like to have it done by a specific person who's a master stylist and she continues to get certifications, which make it more and more expensive. But I haven't given that up yet. Um, <laughs> other than that, really just things that, hubs is not willing to flex on like for example our how our home um i would happily sell this house and buy a lovely um bungalow with a rental property in the basement but unfortunately he's not willing to do that so you know i have to kind of live with that so you know <laughs> cars is another thing like we really it's really hard for us to get around without two vehicles um so, so I would say that's a luxury, although they're paid off um, and they're not new. In fact, they're both pretty old, old vehicles. Um, that's something that 
it's almost a necessity, but you know, you can think of ways to get around it, but because public transit is so, you know, poor in our area that it's really difficult to, to live without a vehicle. Yeah. And it, and that kind of leads me into thinking about the guilt that we have yes. uh, pursuing FI where we, we kind of have to have re- rationalizations behind the expensive decisions we make. And I don't, I don't think that's a good thing. And I, I wonder if, you know, if talking about it more would help people overcome that sort of stigma where I'm spending in certain areas and you should feel good about that and not have to I should feel good about my spendy haircuts is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it is, it's an yeah. indulgence, right? And there's, there's nothing wrong with that because we have to be happy on our path to FI or we're just going to be miserable. And what's the point then, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think everybody has those things that are, with the exception of Mr. Money Mustache, who's like hardcore on every single part of his life, you know, everybody has those things where they need to pay a little bit more for their craft beer, for example. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Don't knock craft beer. I'm not knocking it. I'm saying it's okay. (laughs) So Tanya, I have a bonus question for you. I want to know why you went a month without internet. And if you lost a bet or you hate yourself or something of the sort, please, please indulge us. Well, I explained it really well in the blog, uh, but I can certainly recap. So I was inspired by a YouTuber by the name of Wheezy Waiter. And he does all kinds of wacky, zany experiments where he goes vegan for a month or goes without internet for a month. Um, Anyway, I I watched his video and he and his wife did it together. And uh, they're, you know, the too long didn't read is just basically that they became much more productive people. And... I have, I, I have this habit of just like losing focus on something, you know, it's like when a dog sees a squirrel and they, they just want to go chase that. And, you know, and I just really thought, you know, what if I tried this and, and what would happen and would I become a more productive person? So I I thought I'd give it a try and, and it kind of worked. In fact, I really think I need to do it again. Uh, that was really my primary motivation was because for the month of April, I really had so much on my plate that I wanted to get done. I had books on my um, nightstand that I needed to read. I had, you know, work stuff. So it just, it really helped me kind of just recenter myself to a world without internet. Um, And of course there were a giant list of exceptions, which you can also see on the blog. Um, But Overall, I, I found it really, really beneficial. And you should try it. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it, actually. It kind of does remind me of um, a lot of the uh, self-help um, knowledge that's out there. It's particularly people to, particularly people, why can't I say that word? Particularly to people who are addicted to social media and that they basically run the stats on their phone and it's like an hour to Instagram, two hours to Facebook, uh, another hour to WhatsApp. And it's just, it's absolutely kind of nuts when you realize how much time you spend on your phone. And I think it's kind of like a detox measure that is deleting social media off your phone is, is, is very similar, in my opinion, to going without internet, because once you have those time wasters gone, 
your productivity really has to go up, right? Because I think I'd imagine it was already at zero to begin with or very close. Yes, I think that was probably the number one time sucker for me was social media or just like news sites, you know, when you get into reading articles and then you go to the next article and then you just keep going or YouTube black holes, you know, like I'm totally the type to get sucked into those things. And it really helped me in that regard. But I see you only wrote four articles in April. What's going on there? You had a whole month to write everything, just nowhere to upload it to. <laughs> I'm just yeah, interestingly, it also <laughs> really kind of da- put a damper on the blog posts. Um, I mean, it makes sense, right? But yeah, I just I just was busy living life, I guess. Apologies. I'll try to. I'll try to. Fair yeah, enough, sorry. as we all should. I'll try to improve that for the month of May. <laughs> Yeah, well, if all four of us took a month off the internet, it'd be 25% less comments on right? the Choose FI Canada page. So. We can't take another month off. <laughs> we got we to gotta stagger it. Here's the thing. You can list that as an exception. It. You just block your Facebook feed, but every day you're allowed to go in and, and go to the Choose FI site and that's it. Well, there's a blogger on the West Coast here who wrote about that and he, he basically gave himself an internet diet. So he could go on social media, but it was limited to a 30-minute window during the day. So you hold yourself accountable. You can still go on there, read a little bit, make a few comments. You still, you know, you've weaned yourself off, but you're not allowing yourself to check all day long. So that, that might be something I could try. That's I don't know a if great I way to do turkey. it. That actually kind of reminds me of uh, an article by Mr. Money Mustache called The Low Information Diet, where he basically just cuts out all the crap that comes from like anything that like Fox or CNN uh, would put out. He just would never read it. He would just stick to mo- mostly like blogs or podcasts or something like that. Like no, no negative news, no daily financial reports or what the stock market did today. He just said like, that's, it literally does nothing but stress you out and degrades your quality of life. And like, you know, it just starts to ruin your mind. I, I, I heavily subscribe to that a hundred percent. I'll have to read that. To end the show today, we're bringing you the rapid fire round table trademark where our guest has the opportunity to plug their blog and answer a few parting questions of us. So, uh, Tanya, where can listeners find you and your blog? Well, you can go to your URL address bar in your browser and type teaonfire.com. Awesome. And the next question is, uh, what is your favorite blog post, yours or another? This was a good question. It's a hard question. Um, shamelessly self-promote that's fine <laughs> yeah I would really rather not I think I'm so new, I'm so new to this that there's still much to learn about FI and tips and things things that I still need to get into like investing and there's just so much to learn so I mean I don't want to be cliche but um Mr. Money Mustache's post about the shockingly simple math is probably one of the most impactful posts that I ever read that kind of just put it all out there in a numerical format that was easy to understand and really showed that it was plausible and in fact that he had achieved phi. Um, I will say that Um, One of the earliest blogs that I started reading was a Canadian 
blog by Tim Stobbs, which I'm sure you've read, um, Canadian Dream. Mm-hmm. And his goal was to be free at 45. Well, he ended up retiring at 39, I think. He lives in Regina. Um, anyway, uh, I read a number of Tim's posts as well, which really helped me realize, hey, this is possible for Canadians too. It's not just an American phenomenon. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily pick one specific post of Tim's, but just go into his blog and just enjoy reading the ride. And he posts great updates on how things are going now that he's fi and how he's adjusting to retirement and how he got a job at the library working 18 hours a week. And I'm like, I want to do that. So <laughs> that was really inspiring as well. Sorry, just to jump in here. What was that name again? Uh, Tim Stobbs. He runs the blog Canadian Dream free at 45.com. That's awesome. Cause I have not actually read that one. So fantastic. We'll put that in the show notes. You should actually go to Mr. Money Mustache's blog. He actually reviews Tim's book and says he's the Canadian version of him. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think yeah. I read that. This is amazing. I found a new Canadian blog. I, my day has been made. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. <laughs> okay. Uh, Coming back to the little more Canadian content for us, can you tell us what your favorite vacation destination is in Canada? Ooh, good question. Well, I've not been to every place in Canada. I've been to a number of provinces and zero territories. Uh, I'm going to have to say Quebec City. Awesome. Cool. I really enjoy the European feel, <laughs> um, which is kind of a cop-out because, you know, this isn't Europe, but I just think it has a lovely feel. It's a beautiful city. I love just, you know, just wandering the streets and it's just, it's a wonderful place. Right on. Well, we'll have to get, I would live there if I could. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Well, we'll have to get somebody on, uh, on the round table here at Explorer FI Canada and, and from Quebec city. And we'll get to hear about fantastic getting to five there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Another quick one here is, do you have a favorite order from Tim Hortons, our national restaurant? <laughs> well, I will say I rarely go to Tim Hortons because <laughs> I detest giving my money to this corporation because it's ridiculous how much I pay for mostly water. But I would say a medium with two milk. Perfect. Yeah, well, we weren't sure what kind of responses we were going to get to that question. So. <laughs> Well, at least you didn't say Starbucks or Second Cup or something, because no, no, we're keeping we're keeping a Canadian. Five dollar lattes just are not key, cool at all, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect way to uh, wrap up the episode. Uh, Chrissy, any parting comments? No, I think uh, you've got an awesome vlog, Tanya. I love your writing. You're just you're funny. You're just so entertaining. So I think everyone should go check out your blog and leave a comment because I think you're doing a great job there. And thank you for coming on today to talk to us. Well, thank you very much. It was really fun. And I want to say that I really love your blog as well. And uh, I look forward to every post. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks so much, Tanya. On on behalf of uh, Ryan, Chrissy, myself, the Money Mechanic, it's been a fantastic time talking with you and getting your insight and and how uh, living, working towards FI on Atlantic Canada. So much yes. appreciated. And we'll, uh, we'll see you online. It was my pleasure. And may you all be FI sometime very soon.
Thanks for listening. You can find all our show notes at explorifycanada.ca. Do you like what you're hearing? Help us grow by sharing the show with friends and family. Please subscribe and leave us a comment or review on your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca, canadianfire.ca, or eatsleepbreathefy.com. Our music today was provided by Purple Planet. We'll be back with another episode soon. We'll talk then.